Well, uh, we want to take some time this morning just to kind of wrap up the year by looking ahead and thinking through. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew in the month of December, and we're going to, as you've noticed through our scripture reading, stay there this morning. Uh, We're going to jump from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew now to the end of the story. And, um, And the title of the message this morning is Making Disciples, Making Disciples. Well, sharing Jesus with our neighbors and following him together, that's the mission statement of Heather Hills Baptist Church. This morning, we want to review why the work of sharing Jesus with our neighbors is so important. As we look forward to 2022, as you know, each year we try to focus on a different theme, on a different one of our core values as a church. And in 2022, we'll be focusing on our core value of evangelism, of doing exactly this, sharing Jesus with our neighbors. We're going to try to do that in a variety of different ways, um, as you'll see throughout the year. Uh, Sometimes we'll have some special activities and events here at the church um, to try to bring the lost to, to hear the gospel. But we're also going to be targeting neighborhoods, specific neighborhoods around the church this next year and inviting them and trying to get to know them and trying to serve our neighbors in different ways with the goal of seeing some of them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So stay tuned. We're going to be focusing a lot on this idea of evangelism in 2022. Well, why is that so important? Some of you may think the uh, the answer is kind of obvious, right? We could just quote in our text, Matthew 28. We're just looking at verses 16 through 20 this morning for the sermon. But we could look at verse 19 and say, well, because Jesus told us to, period, right? And that's a good reason, isn't it? And that's certainly true. With all the authority that he possesses as the risen Savior, which we also just read about, the great resurrection, Jesus does indeed charge his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And by the way, in case you think that just applied to the original 11, it says go and make disciples. Well, guess what you are? You're the result of that command. You have become disciples because the message of the apostles has been carried forth from generation to generation to generation all through these centuries to you. And you are a recipient of the apostles' teaching that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried, and who rose again the third day. You are now become a disciple. And so you take on the mission of the original 11 in sharing Jesus with our neighbors. We continue to pass it on from generation to generation. Another reason you might think it's important to make disciples is because we want other people to become Christians. And that's also true, isn't it? At a personal level, If I am a Christian, if I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, I should also want other people to share the benefits and privileges and life purpose of knowing my Lord. And brothers and sisters, could there be any greater love, any greater gift on planet Earth than to lead someone else 
to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't know of one. Yet despite these obvious answers to the question, why is making disciples important? Many of us would have to confess, wouldn't we, that making disciples of Jesus plays little part in our regular lives. At this point, we may feel ourselves sliding into guilt, (laughs) self-justification, or maybe it's just some general confusion over all the demands and priorities of life that, that clamor for our attention. And it's not just personal either, is it? As, as a church family, we are busy with the weekly cycle of programming that takes a lot of effort from a lot of people. Not to mention that people in our church also need love and care through the challenges of life. Listen to this excerpt from a little book. It's a great little book if you ever want to look it up on Amazon. It's called Born to Reproduce. Born to Reproduce. It's a great little book on evangelism written by a fellow named Dawson Trotman, who is the founder of the Navigators Ministry. He wrote this in 1955. Here's an excerpt. Listen to this. The curse of today, and this is what I put on the front of your bulletins this morning, the curse of today is that we are too busy. I'm not talking about being busy earning money to buy food. I'm talking about being busy doing Christian things. We have spiritual activity with little productivity. The gospel spread to the known world during the first century without radio, without television, without even the printing press. Because the writings of the apostles produced men who were reproducing. But today, we have a lot of pew sitters. People think that if they are faithful in church attendance, put good-sized gifts into the offering plate, and get people to come, they've done their part. If I were a minister of a church, Dawson writes, and had deacons or elders to pass the plate and choir members to sing, I would say... Thank God for your help. We need you. Praise the Lord for these extra things you do. But I would keep pressing home the big job. Be fruitful and multiply. All these other things are incidental to the supreme task of winning a man or woman to Jesus Christ and then helping him or her to go on. Unquote. 1955, he wrote that. Things haven't changed that much, have they, in the last 60, 65 years? So why make disciples, brothers and sisters? How important is this mandate of the Lord Jesus? Is it one more thing to add into the busyness of our lives? Or is the vision of making disciples actually the way of integrating our lives and ministries around God's ultimate purposes. This morning, to give ourselves to the task of making disciples, we need to identify some big, robust convictions about what God is doing in his world and where disciple-making fits in with this big plan. 
And so that's why we'll turn our attention here to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus instructs his disciples to make disciples. So if you're taking notes this morning, three points here as we work through this text quickly this morning. The first text is the context. What's happening here in Matthew 28? The context. So we're going to look briefly at the things that have been leading up to this moment. What comes just before the Great Commission in Matthew's Gospel? If we were to back up to chapter 26, what do we find? The disciples are gathered in an upper room for Passover. Remember how we told you in the last few weeks how Jesus is a type of Moses, a new type of Moses. We talked about going down into Egypt and coming out of Egypt and how there's a new exodus that Jesus is leading through his life and through his sacrifice. Well, here, again, is the feast of the Passover. Where does that come from? Exodus, Moses, right? And Jesus takes this feast that the Jewish people have been performing year after year after year after year for literally thousands of years. And he transforms it in this one moment in Matthew 26. Changes it forever. Now it's not the Old Testament. It's not the Old Covenant. Now it's the New Testament. The New Covenant in my blood. Take the bread. When you eat it, this is my body. This bread that you've been eating for thousands of years on the feast of Passover, everything's changed now. This bread is my body broken for you. This cup that you've been drinking at the Passover year after year for thousands of years, everything's changed now because this cup now symbolizes my blood shed for you. And he changes everything. He becomes a better Moses. He becomes, he transforms the Passover into a better Passover. What we celebrate as the Lord's Supper that we'll do next Sunday, by the way, the first Sunday of the new year. The Lord's Supper where we come together and remember that Jesus didn't just transform the Passover. He became the Passover lamb. He becomes the lamb who sacrificed. For us, the lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. During this meal, he tells the disciples, one of the twelve, one of you are going to betray me. Then he moves from that scene to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives where he is betrayed by Judas Iscariot, where he is arrested by Roman guards. Through the night, he is dragged from trial to trial, illegal trial to illegal trial. He's mistreated horribly before ending up before Pilate again in the morning. During this time, his chief disciple, number one spokesperson, Peter, denies him three times. I don't know Jesus. Then due to a technicality, Pilate, allows Jesus, whom he admits he considers to be an innocent man. Pilate says that, remember? Because of a technicality, he allows him to be crucified. Jesus is taken, he carries his cross, he's nailed to it, he dies, he's buried. Then chapter 28 begins. 
with his glorious resurrection. And now we end up Matthew's gospel with the Great Commission. Don't you think all of these events that have just happened in the last week or so, few weeks, would make the 11 remaining disciples feel the weight of Jesus' commission? Everything that's just happened, everything that you've witnessed, how I've transformed everything, how I've instituted the New Testament. Now you're going to take that message to the ends of the earth. Can you feel the weight that the disciples felt that day? This is a serious undertaking, and they knew it. Jesus was just killed for the things that he had been saying and teaching and claiming. And now the disciples are going to say those same things. This is a high-value, high-risk mission that they are undertaking. Sometimes I think we lose the significance of Jesus' words to his disciples being so far removed from what happened in Jerusalem that spring. It's good to remember the context. Feel it for ourselves. The same task we are called to carry out today and in 2022 has cost people their lives. Do you understand that? This mission has cost Christian brothers and sisters, their lives. It may cost you your life. It's a serious undertaking. So we should never take these words of Jesus lightly, should we? That's the context. Now look at the commission itself. Number two, Jesus' commission to make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. The structure of this famous text is pretty straightforward. I think a lot of you could probably quote a couple of these verses. The command lies in verse 19. The command is actually not go, where it says in verse 19. You'd think go is a command, but go is not the command verb in this sentence in the original language. The command verb is make disciples. The other three, what look like verbs to us in the sentence, go, baptizing, and teaching are actually participles. And those participles all go back to modify the main verb, make disciples. So how do we make disciples? Jesus tells us there are three main components. We have to go, we have to baptize, and we have to teach. Now, these are wonderful instructions, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them today. Let me just simply make the observation that we can't make disciples by sitting at home and by sitting in church. We have to go. That means we have to go to those people. They may be people in our workplaces. Anybody know any unsaved people at their job? We may have to go next door. Anybody know any neighbors that need Christ? Anybody know their neighbors? We have some work to do probably, right? Kids that are going back to school in a week or so, right? You know any kids there that need Jesus? 
We have to go to them. Jesus assumes that we will be going to these people. The disciples are literally going to go all over the world. The Apostle Paul is going to go all over the world. We are called to go. I heard an evangelist one time say that the question is not, the question that we should consider as Christians is not whether or not we are to go, but whether or not God wants us to stay. We should assume that we're going. What does that mean? Does that mean we all are going to get on planes and, you know, each pick, pick our country out there? I'm not going to answer that. Maybe the Lord can answer that for you. Mike and Misty are going to get on a plane in a month and go to Thailand. Why? Because they're special? No, they're just like you. What's stopping you from getting on a plane and going to another country to tell people about Jesus? Some of you need to consider that. Some of us just need to do a better job right here, starting. I mean, how are we expected to go somewhere else if we don't do it here, right? We've got, to, we, we've got to make this a habit, a discipline of our lives. And many of you do this so well. Many of you speak up for Jesus often in your lives and in your workplaces and in your schools. And this message should just encourage you to keep at it. Keep at it. But for those of us who are not going, we've got to take that step. We need to do it. We've got to do it in 2022. People are dying. They need to know Jesus. This is how the Lord Jesus ordained for his gospel to be spread. We make disciples by going. Secondly, by baptizing. Baptizing means that these people have come to believe in the Lord Jesus. Baptism is a, is a witness. It's, an, it's a testimony of identification that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that he is who he said he is, the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again the third day. I am a believer. I then get baptized to show the rest of the church I am a follower of Jesus. I am identifying with him. And so the mark of baptism is showing that people are crossing the line from darkness to light. They are crossing the line into faith. And then they are baptized. The third thing we do is teach them. Teach them not, not just teach them. We don't just sit them down at a desk and say, write all this stuff down. Memorize all this stuff. We're going to give you quizzes and all this stuff. It's important. It's not just about giving people instruction. Look at it in verse um, 20. It's teaching them to observe, to obey to live out all that I have commanded you. It's not just throwing stuff at people. It's walking alongside of them in life, showing them how the teaching of Jesus is real, how it applies, how we do it. It's life coming alongside life. This is what we have to do. What is the all things that I have commanded you? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew, I would suggest that Jesus has made it really easy for us to identify these commands because if you have 
uh, probably some kind of a standard Bible, a lot of you have red letters where the words of Jesus are. And if you look through the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find a lot of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. You'll find a lot of them in chapter 10. You'll find a lot of them in chapter 13. You'll find a lot of them in chapter 18. And then you'll find a lot of them in chapter 23 to 25. There are five specific groups of teaching in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus gave to his disciples. That'd be a good place to start, wouldn't it? Teach them all the things to observe all the things that I have commanded you. This is how we make disciples. We've got to go. Once they come to faith, we baptize them, bring them into the church community, and then we teach them how to implement the truths of Scripture to their daily lives. We disciple them. We teach them to become disciples so that they can then go and baptize and teach others, right? This is the multiplication principle. This is how it happens. Now, these wonderful instructions that Jesus gives us are sandwiched in between some other powerful truths about Jesus. And a lot of times we miss this in the Great Commission, and I don't want us to miss it this morning. There's, first of all, there's a beautiful promise in verse 20 that we'll come back to at the end where he says that I, will, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's amazing. To think that Jesus will be with you in this task of making disciples. Is that helpful motivation to you? It should be. Jesus is with you. But then look at verse 18 again on the front side of this text. What does Jesus say about himself in verse 18? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Does that seem pretty comprehensive to you? Let me say it again. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That seems pretty comprehensive, right? In fact, notice all the all words in verses 18 through 20. All authority, all nations, all that I have commanded. I am with you always, literally all the days. Whatever Jesus is saying here in this commission seems to be pretty weighty, doesn't it? I like, like this seems to be a priority statement, right? Because it involves everybody on the planet and everything Jesus taught to his disciples is a pretty big deal, right? Look at verse 18 again. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Given to Jesus by who? Well, in order to understand what Jesus is actually saying here, we, we have to go back. We've got to go way back, actually, in the Scriptures, all the way back to the ancient prophecy of Daniel. Go ahead and turn there for a moment. Hold your place. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Look at verses 7, uh, or look at verses 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel located right after the book of Ezekiel which we'll be starting to study in January on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, Daniel's writing this, 
And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Notice that phrase? Son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament, ancient of days only applies to one person. You know who it is? God the Father, the ancient of days. And was presented before him. And to him, listen to this, to him was was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, who is this Son of Man that's referenced in Daniel? We know who God the Father is. And God the Father is saying, all power in heaven and earth is given to this person called the Son of Man. Look back to Matthew's Gospel. And turn back just a couple of chapters from where we are to Matthew 25. Look at chapter 25, verse 31 and 32. When the Son of Man... Ooh, Jesus said it. There's that phrase again. Trust me, when Jesus says Son of Man, the Jewish people know who he's talking about. Daniel, they know it. When the Son of Man comes in in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, just like Daniel 7. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. In Matthew 25, Jesus is describing the final judgment at the end of time. And here is the Son of Man, again in his glory, with authority over all the nations. Now, now it's going to come as no surprise to you that Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man. In fact, Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. He described his own mission in Luke's Gospel. You remember it? Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This verse is familiar to us because we've heard it dozens of times in Bible messages. But that verse was familiar to the people in Jesus' day because they knew Daniel 7. They knew what Son of Man means. The Anointed One. The Messiah. The One who has all the authority. Now why does this matter to us? Why does this matter to the subject of the message? Why does this matter to Matthew 28? What important connecting word is found at the beginning of verse 19? Verse 19 starts with what? Go, therefore. What's the connection between what Jesus says in verse 18 and why his disciples should make more disciples? Well, let's think a little bit more about this claim of Jesus. This is our third point. It's the claim. 
the claim that Jesus is God's son and Lord over all. Hold your place here one more time. Let's go back to Matthew, earlier in Matthew's gospel. Let's go back to Matthew 7 for just a moment. I want you to see this authority demonstrated in Matthew's own gospel. Matthew 7, look at verses 28 and 29. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. This is right after the first group of teaching that Jesus gives. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He's just finished talking about the wise man and the foolish man building their house on the rock or the sand, right? He's just finished the sermon. And here's the, here's the response, 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had, say it, authority and not their scribes. And just after Jesus speaks with authority, he acts with authority. And look at verses, look at chapters 8 and 9 of, of Matthew. Jesus heals a leper. Jesus heals the servant of a centurion. Down in verse 14, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, many others. Uh, look down in verse 23. Not only can Jesus heal people, Jesus is, has authority over nature. In verse 23, they get into a boat, and the boat is getting swamped with waves. Jesus stands up and rebukes the winds in the sea, and there's a great calm. Jesus' authority over nature. Look down at verse 28. He gets to the other side of the lake, to the country of the Gadareans. Two demon-possessed men meet him, coming out of the tombs. Nobody else uh, can control them. And they cry out, O Son of God, have you come here to torment us, etc.? What does Jesus do? He casts the demons out of those men and into a group of pigs. Jesus has authority over people. He has authority over nature. He has authority over the supernatural. Jesus has all authority. As you keep reading in chapter 9, you see more and more and more of Jesus is the Lord. Jesus has the power. He is the Son of Man. People are amazed by what they saw in Jesus' life and heard in Jesus' words. One more passage. Let me just read it to you. It's familiar. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, that's Christmas, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that's Good Friday. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is who? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. How does the Apostle Paul understand the extent of Christ's authority in Philippians 2? Equal with God. Highly exalted. Name above every name. Every knee in heaven and earth 
bows to him. Every tongue in heaven and earth confesses, you are Lord Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And so, and so, Heather Hills, we must bow before him too. This is not like the movies. This is not our mission, should we choose to accept it. These are the orders of the King of Kings, the Lord of all lords, the Son of Man, the Word made flesh, the mighty God. We make disciples because the Lord requires it of us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back. We're going to sing another song here and close our service in just a a few moments. I want you to notice one more thing from Matthew 28. What is happening on this hillside in Galilee? The 11 disciples are seeing the fulfillment of Daniel's extraordinary vision hundreds of years earlier. Here is the man, the Son of Man, before whom peoples from every nation and tongue will bow. And it's on this basis, the unique, supreme, worldwide authority of the risen Son of God, God's anointed one, the Christ, the King, that Jesus commissions his disciples to make disciples of all nations. In fact, all of the Gospel of Matthew is really leading to these last five verses. This is what the whole Gospel of Matthew is all about. It's similar to what happened on another hillside thousands of years earlier when Moses gave his final words of commissioning to his successor, Joshua, What a huge task Joshua had leading those three million people into battle, into a promised land. We have a huge task too, brothers and sisters. How can we be faithful to it? What will change in 2022 that wasn't in 2021? with regard to our gospel witness, our personal gospel witness? How can we be faithful to it in our busy lives? How can we be successful in it? The key lies in understanding who Jesus is. He is the Lord and he is our king. And he will be with us in this mission. Do you remember what the Lord told Joshua just after Moses died? Familiar verses, Joshua chapter 1. Let me just read a portion of verse 5 and a portion of verse 9. See if it sounds familiar to what Jesus told his disciples. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. 
Joshua, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you remember at the beginning of our study in the Gospel of Matthew? It had been 400 years since the Jewish people had had any revelation from God. They were living in darkness. No prophets. And then an angel appears. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. After 400 years, God's with us again. And now Jesus is saying to his disciples, not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to be with you to the end. We can do this mission, brothers and sisters. We can reach out to our coworkers, to our neighbors, to our classmates, to the unsaved lost that we just find and come into contact with. We can do this. We can go into neighborhoods that we've never walked in before and talk to people about Jesus. We can do this in 2022 because the King is with us. And we need him to be with us, don't we? Because we can't get anybody saved on our own. The work that happens in the heart is exclusively his. And that's why we don't give up. That's why we persevere. We keep on telling people the good news. Some will reject it. Frankly, most will reject it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many are on that path, friends. But some will receive it. Because God can change a heart. So we need him to be with us, empowering this mission. We cannot accomplish it in our own power. And he will be with us all the way to the end. All the way home to heaven. So we're going to close with another song we learned here recently this year. It's a song that looks forward to going home. And we should every day wake up and say, this could be the day we go home. But friends, Don't forget what we have to do in the meantime. Go, baptize, teach. That's our mission in 2022. So let's do it together with faith and with confidence in our King who is with us, who changed your life with the gospel, changed my life with the gospel, And he's going to change other people's lives this year with the gospel too.